Well, hey, Mountain, and welcome to week two of Have a Great Life. I hope you're having a great life so far. You know, according to uh, a tradition, uh, Alaskan Native hunters are really smart. They, uh, they have this unique way that they're said to hunt a wolf. Maybe you've heard about it. He takes a, a sharp knife about that long and dips it like in a bucket of blood, dips the blade in that blood and it freezes. That blood freezes on the sharp blade and then dip it again, dip it again. Put layer after layer after layer of blood on that, that sharp knife. And then he takes that knife and puts the handle into the ground with the blade side up and leaves it there. And the wolf that's harassing them will eventually smell it and follow to the bait. And once there, inevitably he'll lick it. And he'll like it. And he'll want more of it. And he begins to lick and lick and lick. And finally the, the first layer of blood comes off the, the blade. And then the second and the third. And eventually as, as the wolf just keeps licking and licking more feverishly, more, more, more passionately, it doesn't even recognize that all of the blood has been licked off of the blade. And now his own tongue is sort of numb and actually begins to get sliced. And his whole mouth sliced on the blade itself. But he's so, so feverishly licking the blade he doesn't even recognize it. And nor does he recognize that point at which it's his own blood that he's tasting until he eventually recognizes some pain and wanders off, but now has lost so much blood he collapses and they find that wolf dead in the snow. In the morning, all they have to do is track the trail of blood. Those native Alaskan hunters are pretty smart. Do you know that there's someone who is hunting you as well? who's also smart enough to know what might draw you into a trap. Temptation is something that everyone faces, and it's when when something is dangled in front of us that lures us, you know, with our eyes or our pride or the lust of the flesh, some hunger that hides the sharp blade of consequences. Do you know what your bloody popsicle is in life? That thing that that appears really delicious at first. But the more you lick it, the less it really satisfies. It only kind of leaves you wanting more. And and you realize after a while, it kind of just like leaves you sort of numb and not really satisfied at all until you begin to to realize it's actually bringing you harm. Physically, maybe, or, or spiritually, or emotionally, relationally in your family. Scripture puts it very baldly, just says sin leads to death and destruction. I know it sounds dramatic to say that sin leads to death and destruction, but it's always true. And so all of our lives have experienced this kind of thing. We've been left in the snow because of licking on the blade of maybe envy. Tastes good at first or, or hate or maybe we're tempted with the spirit of bitterness and unforgiveness. Or maybe it's anger. You lap it up and it tastes so good at first, doesn't it? Or maybe it's alcohol or drugs or some other chemical or seeking fulfillment through sex. Or some kind of affair or binging on food or games or work or, or just trying to be a control freak. It's just so many ways that the blade can get coated, aren't there? drawing us in, and if we succumb to temptation, can leave us wounded and hurt or or dead. 
They say sin will take you farther than you want to go. Make you stay longer than you want to stay and make you pay more than you want to pay. Temptation lures us to sin and, and there's a huge price. We lose our integrity. We, we lose our joy. We lose relational connections all the time. We lose our purity and we lose our closeness and connection to God. And if you remember, that's one of the keys to living a great life. Your connection to God. Remember that just like with Joseph, God was with Joseph and Joseph was with God. That's one of the keys. And that's the problem with sin. And temptation lures us into sin in a way that sin is simply separation from God, like where we leave God behind in that moment. There's so many things that we desperately want in the moment that seem delicious, that we hunger for, but are actually so bad for us because they, they rob us of, of joy and life and relationship and purity and, and God. Now, temptation is part of life. Everyone's faced it. The first humans, Adam and Eve, faced it. The perfect human, Jesus, faced it. And everyone, you and me, we faced it. But, but, so, so you don't have a great life by avoiding temptation. You have a great life by recognizing it, expecting it, and successfully navigating through it by winning over it with your integrity intact and your relationship with God intact. And God has provided a way for that to happen through Christ. Now, in 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed. He um, was a Lutheran pastor, actually, in Nazi Germany. And he wrote a lot of great books. I commend them all to you. One of my favorites is a little tiny short one. It's called Temptation. And in it, he leaves us a little gem that's maybe the best description or explanation of what happens in the human spirit during temptation. Maybe the best thing you've ever read on it other than maybe the Bible itself. Let me share it with you. He says, In our body there is a slumbering inclination towards desire, which is both sudden and fierce. Can you relate to that? With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over our our body, our flesh. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled and the flesh burns in its flames. It makes no difference whether it's sexual desire or ambition or pride or desire for revenge, or love, or fame, or power, or greed for money. Joy in God is being extinguished in us as we seek all of our joy in the creature and the creation. Listen, at this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality, and our desire is only for the creature. Satan does not here fill us with a hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. Can you relate to that? Where we would never maybe say, oh, I I hate God, but there are times when we forget God. And in those moments of wandering, we're left alone like a sheep without a shepherd. And in those vulnerable moments is where the wolf gets us. Every human 
has faced temptation in so many forms. It, it comes, you know, maybe from material things is your bloody popsicle. You know, you, you got to have the house, got to have the car, got to have the stuff. Or maybe it's personal temptation, fame or power or title. Or maybe it's sensual or sexual temptation. Lust for another person or actually for their body rather than the desire to give yourself to someone as the Bible upholds as a noble idea. Rather, we just want to possess someone for our own good and really just their body. We're going to actually zero in on that last category a bit today because it's one that the enemy used on our man Joseph and it's also one that our enemy uses on us a lot and it's one bloody popsicle that's leaving a lot of people wounded and a lot of people dead these days so let's catch up to our story Joseph as we wander through his life trying to see some ways that we can also have a great life well you remember his brother sold him into slavery and they told his dad well he's dead and Jacob believed him as far as they're all concerned Joseph is dead and gone sold to to these Egyptian uh, uh, traders who who have now sold him to a guy named Potiphar all right, who's the captain of the bodyguard. So here he is now. He's, he's, got, he's got a different culture, a different country, a different language, a different place. And, and here he is, a common slave to this guy who's a rough, rugged guy who runs like these bodyguards. And, and so Joseph is in a bad way. He's really in the pits, if you will. He, he's in a transition time that's unwelcome to him. And, 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 and it's in those moments that if you've ever been in a time like that, you'll recognize that the next words in the text are some of the most beautiful that you long to ever hear. Genesis 39, verses 2 and following says this, begins these ways. The Lord was with Joseph. (laughs) The Lord was with him. And so Joseph, in this strange place, begins to succeed in everything he does. And Potiphar notices this, you know. He says, the Lord's with this guy. And, and, and so Joseph, in this place that's bad and hard and new, God is with him, and that's the secret to his success. And he begins to progress, and, and so Potiphar gives him increased responsibilities. Here, take this whole job, and he gives him another promotion or another until he eventually gives everything Potiphar possesses is under Joseph's charge. One heck of a promotion for a young slave. He prospered. He was making money. He was running a tight ship and everybody loved Joseph. And here's a good point to remind ourselves of. When you're in that position, when you have greater success, you have some responsibility, some authority, whether as a parent or at a job or in society, with that comes greater measures of trust. And with that comes greater measures of vulnerability to temptation. I have to recognize in my role, I have a bigger target on my chest simply because I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a pastor. You've got one on you too. And if you're one of those successful people in business or the community, you're one of the, you're, 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 you're effective and efficient. Well, then you've got to recognize that those blessings are benefits from God, but with it comes a greater vulnerability and responsibility to be vigilant. Thomas Carlyle said, you know, adversity is difficult, but for, for one person who can stand prosperity, there's a hundred who can stand adversity. Prosperity is more difficult, especially when it comes to temptation. Verse 6 says, this little footnote gets thrown in. This is awesome. So here's this Joseph guy. He's really successful. Everyone's like, wow, look at Joseph. Well, then also this little footnote. And Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. <laughs> okay? So he caught the eye of the women. He's a heartthrob. He's Zach Efron, or I don't know, Dwayne Johnson. I don't know who the heartthrobs are. And in verse 7, Potiphar's wife comes after him. 
It says that she began to look lustfully at him and she just says to him one day out of the blue, come sleep with me, she demanded. Wowzers, I guess I'd call that kind of the direct approach, wouldn't you? I mean, normally what happens in this kind of situation, and I've actually seen it sadly many times, it's more gradual, where two people step across a line, but it starts real slow, a kind of attraction. They spend time together and they begin to have conversation as closeness develops and begin to realize, oh, we have all this in common or, oh, my wife never talks to me that way. We begin to have this sort of, you know, click and boy, you really get me. And this illusion begins to develop about how good they are for each other. It's a slow fade that happens over time as they get too close to the flame before they realize they're burned. Not Potiphar's wife. Nope. She's like, Joseph, come to bed. Let's have sex. Well, he's a red-blooded young man and he smells the scent on the knife. You can be sure of that. But this is the moment of decision, that moment that Bonhoeffer was describing. When God can seem so unreal, I've had them in my life where all of a sudden, the last thing on my mind, God, God wasn't just not on my mind, he didn't even enter my mind. You've had those moments. But somehow, Whenever you have a moment like that, you come back later and you regret it. You're like, oh, and you have to talk to God. You got to talk to somebody about what, but, but how stupid you feel and embarrassed you are. But, but Joseph, somehow in that moment, God was not unreal and distant. God was, remember, still with Joseph. If you're going to allow God into your life and ask him to help you be blessed and have success, it only stands the reason that you'd invite him in in the moment of your greatest need during temptation. He didn't push the Lord away. And as a result, he could push the sin away. Verse 8, Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in, in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He's held back nothing from me except you, and that's because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? And then this line he ends with, it would be a great sin against God how could I do this thing and sin against God he says no and he stands firm and it's it's partly because he's loyal to his boss and it's partly because maybe he respects her too much and maybe partly because of his own principles but the main reason is he says I can't do this thing and sin against God sometimes my friends listen loyalty and love are about the only things that will keep you from succumbing to sin. When you're in the heat of the moment and the motor's running, it's loyalty and love. Well, if you think, wow, I'm glad that's over. (laughs) Think again, because the next verse says that she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day after day after day and he kept refusing and tried to stay out of her way, tried to just avoid her at all costs. Resisting temptation is never a one and done kind of thing. If you resist it 10 times, but succumb on the 11th, you're still going to pay the exact same price. And she's relentless. And finally, she puts out the bloody popsicle, sets a trap for him, catches him when he's alone and throws herself at him in this desperate attempt and demands, come on, sleep with me. And Joseph knows he better get out of there. And he literally runs. She grabs and clutches and he just literally runs right out of his cloak, leaves it with her as he runs out 
of the house. And this is what the Bible actually always says we're supposed to do. Clear in the New Testament, maybe it was thinking of Joseph when it says, when you are faced with sin, uh, a sin temptation like that of any kind, but especially a sexual or sensual one, don't try to reason with it. Well, let me think about this. Let's talk this through. No, don't reason, run. Don't try to fight it. I'm stronger than this. No, don't try to fight, flee. That's what the Bible says. That's what Joseph did. Well, as the writer has said, hell hath no flurry like a woman scorned. And she trumps up an accusation of rape, builds a false case against Joseph. This is a strange thing because in our culture today, very often we, we, we're learning how not to shame a person who comes and says, oh, this happened to me. We know we need to listen and pay attention lest we end up shaming the victim even more. But here it's strange because it's all flipped around. Here it's a woman making a false accusation against a man. And once again, it's a robe as evidence that did him in. Potiphar is, is furious and throws him in jail and forgets about him. So here he is back in the pit, down in a hole again where he started. Did you notice Joseph did the right thing? I mean, if, it seems like God could have helped, helped a brother out there a little bit, you know. He honored God and he did the right thing and that's the thanks he gets. He paid a price for it and sometimes doing the right thing doesn't mean you always get the blessing. I mean, Joseph didn't know how this story ends. All he knows is that for the time being, he's in a pit. But in a pit... Verse 21 says this familiar phrase. But the Lord was with Joseph. (laughs) Joseph is still with the Lord, even through it all. He doesn't say, well, if that's how it is, God, then I'm done with you. No. The Lord's with Joseph and Joseph was with the Lord. And God extended kindness to Joseph and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Even in prison, he starts to make good. Even there he starts to get a blessing and that's the key to a great life is having God in your life to see him, to sense him and to trust him to have his hand at work in your life. There's so much to learn from this incident in Joseph's life if we're interested in really having a great life ourselves, We can't avoid this kind of temptation but a great life is one that experiences less and less of it because the more you win in this area, the more you experience victory, the less, the less it sort of hammers you, comes after you. The more you fail, the more susceptible you are. The, the more your tongue is bleeding, the more you taste the blood, the more blood you want. Jesus, in his very famous sermon, maybe the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, actually just got it rolling and pretty near the beginning, kind of, I imagine everybody kind of uh, tightening up a little bit when Jesus says, so let's talk about sex. Right there at the beginning. It's found in your Bible, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, 28, and 29. He says, you guys know the Ten Commandments, right? Um, you know, the one about uh, don't commit adultery. They're all nodding. Less, yes, we know that one. Because they felt like they had that one down. But then Jesus ups the ante. In verse 28, he says, you know what? Anyone who looks at another person lustfully has already committed adultery in their heart. 
And he changes the game so they could understand why the first commandment was even given. They were trying to look at it like a checklist. That's how we look at sex. Like, did I do a naughty thing or not? And, and God is just wanting us to want him and to walk with him and to have a great life. And so he gives us these boundaries that will find greater joy, not lesser joy. We think there's greater freedom in sexual expression and there's greater freedom in the boundaries of trusting God and what he's given us. And so Jesus is trying to drive that home. And, and, and he says, you know, it's not just this rule you're going to check a box on to say you haven't committed adultery. If you, if you look at someone lustfully, you've, you've already done it. And then he goes on to say, this is such a serious deal. If your eye causes you to sin in this way, you know what you ought to do? He says, pluck it out. Gouge out your eye and toss it because as painful as that would be, it would be better than the consequences of sin. He goes from you know, a pleasant day talking about, you know, hello, I'm glad you're here, to all of a sudden talking about hell. Hell? According to Jesus, yeah. Temptation, sin, death, hell. It's a flow. It, it, it's like once you start on the popsicle, sometimes there's no going back. So if someone was kind of saying, well, I'm technically obeying you know, the, the, the commandment by complying to the letter of the law, Jesus ropes us all in here and says it's all of us. Our wandering eyes, our hearts that are forgetting and pretending God isn't real in that moment. The impure thoughts, the precarious situations, the, 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 the things that we get ourselves into. He's saying that there's more to what God had in mind than just not sleeping in the wrong bed. It's about who you are. It's about the condition of our heart before God. And according to Jesus, you can commit adultery, you know, alone in your living room as much as you can in a hotel room with someone who's not your spouse, in a classroom or at a gym, on a computer, with your phone. Whether physical or mental, both flow out of the the self-same kind of self-seeking, lust-filled heart that forgets about God and says, I just want what I want. Now, of course, Jesus was only talking to people back then who had problems with any of this. I know that none of us do, but actually we all do because we live in a sex-saturated society and we're bombarded with you know, images and sex sells everything from shampoo to you know, sports drinks. Porn is a huge industry in our world today where it takes something beautiful, the human body and sexuality and something that God created and twists and contorts it in such a way. And now it falls into the hands of minors who's, who the average age of first exposure now is eight years old. 60% of Christian men say they struggle with pornography and half of families say porn's a problem in their house. So when we talk about this, Jesus isn't talking about the sizzle you notice when you sort of someone attractive. He's not talking about that. I'm I'm really sure of that. What's going on when you stop noticing that someone's attractive? What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. You're dead. That's what's going on. As long as we're alive, we're going to have that. That's That's not the issue. The issue is when the look turns in my heart, not just my eyes, but my heart, to something, toward the purpose of lusting, to possessing, to saying, God, I need you over here for a minute because I want to go chase this bloody popsicle because it leads us away from the one who is with us. And only when God is with us can we have a great life. So 
Let's talk about a couple of things that we can all do, just practical stuff. And I know it's kind of intense to talk about this, but we all want to win over this area in our lives. And so let's talk about a couple of things that we can do. Number one, according to the scriptures, from the life of Joseph to the life of Jesus, the first thing we'll say is take it seriously. Take it seriously. Joseph recognized that this was a big deal. He didn't just say in the moment, well, I guess no one's around and no one cares. I'm a single guy and who, you know, who cares? No, no, no. How could I do this and sin against God? He saw it for what it was. It's so easy to say other things like, man, just this once, what's the harm? Or my husband doesn't mean my knees like you would. Or if you do this, you'll prove you really care for me. Or I just need a friend right now. Or who is ever going to find out? We're alone, we're safe. Or I'm so lonely. God understands. He brought you into my life. And I really connect with you. Nobody gets me like you. Or just this once and then never again. Those are all actual phrases I've heard from people who've either said them or heard them and later regretted it. Because they didn't take it seriously enough and now they've got a wake of pain and difficult conversations with kids and employers family members and regrets jesus says in that sermon he preached gouge your eye out and throw it away if you have to better be blind in an eye than have both eyes in hell (laughs) pretty strong language don't you think One second he's talking about lustful looks and then he's talking about hell. He's dead serious because sin is serious. Friends, listen, sin separates us from God. That's the whole point. Sin, if you want your life to be a and God was with Joseph kind of life, that's a great life. But you bring sin in, sin separates us from God. It's the very definition of sin. And so temptation is just the gateway. It's just the avenue. And so you can say it, you can poo-poo it, you can say it's not true, but I'm telling you, anything that separates you from God is serious. God would not have sent his son Jesus to die on the cross if this wasn't serious. So if you do what's right, Genesis 4, 7 says, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what's right, here's here's what it says. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you and you must master it. I was camping with Tom Moen. A lot of you know Tom. I was camping in northern Minnesota a long time ago. Uh, up in the Boundary Water Canoe area. It's a very remote area. In the middle of the night, we're in our tent and there's this loud thrashing up out of the water. We're on this island and it's coming through the woods right toward our tent. Now we've got our food tied up in a tree and I think we're safe, but it comes closer and closer. I'm scared to death. And, and, and it's a, I'm pretty sure it's a bear. There's lots of black bears up in that area. I didn't want to get eaten, so my adrenaline's pumping and I'm just, I'm just about freaked out. I get pots and pans and flashlights and I jump out of that tent and I'm banging those pots together, yelling at the top of my lungs, chasing that thing and waving my light, screaming at the top of my lungs. I never saw the bear, but I heard it pounding through the woods and then jumping into the lake with a huge splash. Tom says he thinks it was a bunny. That's because he's jealous of how brave I was when I chased away a bear. But honestly, I was scared out of my mind because I didn't want to get eaten in the middle of the night by a bear, right? Jesus says, you ought to fear lust like that. You ought to fear temptation like that because it's no bunny. And before you realize it, it'll eat you 
alive. You must master it. It's crouching at your door. Or as the New Testament says, to flip the analogy around, 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be self-controlled and alert. Pay attention because your enemy that prowls around you, the devil is like a roaring lion who's there seeking someone to devour. Take it seriously because sin is serious business. The second thing that's so important and super practical that we can learn from Joseph's life and from Jesus' life is this. Don't just take it seriously. Deal with it ruthlessly. Deal with it ruthlessly. I mean, this is a big deal. Jesus, Joseph didn't try to reason with her. I mean, right away, he didn't flirt, play with fire and have a little game and talk about it. You know, he, he just ran out of there, left that coat behind. You, you maybe heard about the guy who had a girlfriend named Ruth. But he loved his sports car. Man, he just loved that sports car. He was always working on the car, polishing the car, cleaning the car. One time he said he wants to get in the car and go for a ride. And Ruth says, it's me or the car. He thought about it. And he drove off ruthlessly. (laughs) Yeah, ruthlessly. Sometimes you got to leave someone behind to get where you need to go. And you got to deal with sin ruthlessly. Jesus says it's nothing to mess around with. Eliminate it immediately. Don't play around. Don't compromise. Don't get comfortable. Yeah, imagine getting a pencil right now and, and, just, and just gouging your eyeball out. And that's pretty extreme, but this is what Jesus is trying to say. If it causes you to sin, gouge it out. Take drastic action. Don't fly close to the flame. Don't just continue to tell off-color jokes or make inappropriate comments or, or let stuff happen at work with members of the opposite sex that are inappropriate. Take drastic Action. What sin do you need to gouge out right now? Maybe you've dabbled and you like it and you want to keep it. It's become part of you. It's your precious. But it's sin and it's, it's driving a wedge between you and God and you know it. You want the great life. You want God in your life like he was in Joseph's. But it, in those moments when this thing happens and you practice this behavior it's like God's unreal to you you don't hate God you just forget him sin is like that it's going to get rid of you or you're going to get rid of it there's no other way Jesus says gouge it out what is that for you no sermon's going to gouge it out for you you know I can't do this for you Jesus won't do it for you. He's already gone to the cross to forgive it and to help you with the power and the strength of his spirit. But he calls you to take up your cross right now and to, to gouge it out. To, and it's going to hurt and you're going to fuss and you're going to complain and you're going to protest. And some of you are saying right now, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's still talking about this. And what a bunch of prudes. And this is also exaggerated and say whatever you want. But I don't think Jesus was wrong. And I don't think Joseph was a fool. And a lot of us, who've experienced the pain of sensual sin would agree. The real Jesus says, gouge it out. Maybe you need to make a covenant with your eyes like Job did. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at another person. Make a covenant not to look lustfully. When you're at the health club, when you travel for business, I know a guy who, who when he goes into his hotel room, he puts a towel over the TV set 
And he, and he opens up his briefcase, takes out a picture of his wife and kids, puts it on top of the TV set. And another guy goes on these business trips all the time and they're always out to strip clubs and seedy bars. And he says, I'll be back in my room watching ESPN. And, and you just might have to do whatever it takes to maybe cancel a subscription or put your computer in a public, more visible place, get a filter, I don't know. Block certain channels, you know, stop reading those romance novels. Do what the guy that I, I saw in the film Fireproof, he finally got a decisive moment where he just took his computer monitor out in the backyard and smashed it with a hammer because he told his wife, I love you more. Deal with it ruthlessly. And finally, think about it relationally. Take it seriously, deal with it ruthlessly, but think about this whole thing relationally. Like, that's what it is. I mean, this isn't about a rule to follow. That leads to legalism and emptiness, and who cares about religious rules and rituals? And, and it's, not, it's not just about rules, and nor, nor is it about the results. Like, well, what if, it, what if I did, and then this happened, or I got caught, and you know, because all you'll do then is figure out how to not get caught. It's not about rules. It's not about results. It's about relationship. And this is the thing that helped Joseph in the moment of crunch. The crunch time came and when the pressure was on and she said, come to bed with me. This wealthy woman who might have given him great opportunity. Who knows? But you know what? It was relationship. He says, I can't do that. I, I, I work for this guy. I respect you too much. I cannot do this and sin against God. God was not dead to him in that moment. And I pray that God will not be dead to you in the moment that matters most when the bloody popsicle is before you. In this area or any other area of sin and temptation. I cannot do this thing in sin against God. You know that man that I told you about that smashed his computer monitor and told his wife, I love you more? That's what Joseph said to God. That's what you can say. Get some help. Go to CR. We'll put some resources out for you. But love and loyalty is the thing that will get you out of the bind. And tell God, I love you more.